I'm Sarah Rose, and this is the Mind Body Academy Podcast Meditation Toolkit. This is your opportunity to train your mind as much as you're behind. Each meditation will help you develop a specific mental skill set because happy and healthy isn't a goal weight, it's a state of mind. To start your transformation from the inside out, train your brain today. Welcome back to this meditation series called Give Peace a Chance. Today, I'm going to unpack the saying, agreeing to disagree in a way that could shift the nature of how you relate to someone who has a different and even radically different opinion than you. Agreement is one of the most powerful forces in the human psyche and in the dynamics of interpersonal relations. We believe what we agree with. And for that reason, when we disagree with someone, it generally makes them feel invalidated. We are all driven by the need to be right. All of us are. So it's our reflex to make someone wrong when we disagree with what they're saying. We collapse what they're saying into our judgment of who they are. We do not hold what they said and who they are as separate, even though they are. This gets us into trouble in a lot of situations, but even with people we're close to, like friends or romantic partners. In a situation where they may have said something we disagree with, we're not very good at disagreeing with them without getting mad. We tend to get angry at them instead of feeling anger towards what they were saying. This is very different. When we start to get angry at the person instead of acknowledging our anger towards what they were saying, the general tendency is to either shut down or to shut them down. We're not curious or compassionate. We're just like, no. (laughs) But here's the thing. We're getting mad because we believe that they believe what they're saying. We're not even open to considering why they believe what they believe. We're too busy telling ourselves why they're wrong to think to say, tell me why you're right. I want to understand. Or help me understand. Why do you believe that? Right? We're all up in our minds telling ourselves why we believe what we believe and not wondering why they believe what they believe. But you already know why you believe what you believe. So you're just reinforcing your beliefs when you do this and your sense of rightness. When both people in a conversation are doing this, they both just walk away feeling more justified about what they feel, what they're saying, and what they're believing in that situation. The good news is is that it only takes one person to make a pivot in a conversation and to seek agreement. Now, seeking agreement doesn't mean the other person is right. What we are seeking is not necessarily agreement at the level of our thoughts and beliefs. What we want to be establishing is agreements in the facts. The facts are the universally agreed upon neutral circumstances. If you don't have agreement, don't categorize it as a fact. They aren't interpretive. 
What someone said or did is a circumstance. What you make that mean, how you look at that, is a thought. Your judgment about what they said, your belief about what they said, all of that is your thinking. You want to separate those two things out. Separate your thoughts from the facts. That's the first step after suspending disbelief. And you do that by being willing to be wrong. Again, that does not mean that you are wrong. It just means that you are in a position of listening. You are receptive. You're not closed off. You don't believe you are wrong, but you're not letting that interfere with your capacity to listen. So I learned about the importance of agreement a lot from Grant Cardone, who has this sales principle where he says, always, always, always agree. And this principle works cross-situationally, but let's use a sales example before using a more emotionally charged example. (laughs) Let's let throw in a bounce softener into the dryer before we go right into the spin of some of our more loaded disagreements and divides. Let's take an example from a sales discussion board where someone asked, how do you agree with them when they are wrong and how do you turn when they are wrong into a sale? For instance, if they say, well, I can only afford $500 for this item, but you can't get the deal down any further than, let's say, $600. Do you agree with them and lose the sale because the amount is out of their range? I know this is a point where you may be selling the service to overcome the objection to the amount, but you can only be so agreeable. Okay, so in this situation, the person is believing that they can only afford $500. That's what the potential buyer is believing. And the salesperson wants to believe that they can afford more than $500, that they can afford $600. Notice the language the person on the discussion board uses. How do you turn when they are wrong (laughs) into a sale? That was his question. He's making them wrong and it's leading the potential client to back away. So How do we create agreement here? You don't know whether that person has $500 in their bank account or $500,000. But what you do know and what is a fact is that they are saying that they can only afford $500. So in order to agree with them, you can say, I hear you and I agree that you are saying that you can only afford $500. So Do you want to come up with the difference so that this can be yours today? Or saying, yes, you can only afford $500 and that's okay. What can you do to come up with a difference so you can afford this? Because I want you to have this if you truly want this. That yes and is so powerful. Notice how it keeps the conversation going because the conversation is much more open. You're not assuming that the customer is right but nor are you assuming you know better than the customer either. You're leaning in, you're asking questions. Maybe they can afford it. Maybe they can't. You don't know. You're just inviting them to investigate their reflexive thinking. Even in our internal dialogue, we can use this strategy. I call it mental Aikido (laughs) because you're using the compelling force behind a thought against itself. 
We have so much dead-end thinking, like, I'm so lazy. It's just such an end-stop thought. Instead, we can use the yes and and feed it into a thought that serves us so much better. So, I'm lazy becomes, yes, I'm so lazy, and I'm also not so lazy. You're acknowledging that reality is binary. You can be both. It's not an either or or an all or nothing kind of thing. When you can agree with your mind, you can relax. That also goes for other people's opinions of you. (laughs) When you can see the kernel of truth in what they're saying and you can agree with that, then everyone can relax. You can say, and that's okay too, right? I'm so lazy and that's okay. Your thinking doesn't have to be resisted and repeated, right? In this instance, when you're agreeing with it, it gets to be acknowledged so that you can experience its transience instead of relive its effect over and over again. We can bring the same strategy to difficult conversations when we're having a disagreement. Just think of this mental Aikido. Be like water, Bruce Lee style. (laughs) When you're unattached to being right, you get to keep your beliefs if you want to, and you get to keep the relationship intact as well. Again, this doesn't mean that you agree with the other person or even that you end up liking them, but what it does mean is that you aren't letting yourself feel hurt or directly affected by what they're saying or believing. You're taking none of it personal. Here's the thing. When we disagree, it's easier to sit back and say nothing. It's easier to shut up than risk saying something that can make it worse. That's how a lot of disagreements end before they've even begun with the silent treatment. It feels safer that way because we are quicker to judge each other's words than to question each other's silences. But we're making up our minds about each other in those silences. Even if we just move on afterwards, there's all this unresolved ammo in the back of our minds for the next time we feel triggered. That's why we can bring up the same thing over and over again and we can go on and on about the same thing without ever really productively getting anywhere with it. We don't invite the uncomfortable conversation all the way in because we don't know how to handle disagreement. We just want to be right. So one place that this has been very much alive for people right now is around Black Lives Matter. There has been so much anger and rage circulating around the inequities between races and between classes. Our attention has been pulled to the extreme dividedness socially, economically, politically, and this has rippled over into our personal relationships. Anger can be this mushroom cloud over everything, and sometimes we need things to go kaboom, to be transformed by our anger in a way that is constructive and healing. So one thing I observed early on was that there were two conflicting messages circulating directed towards white people. One was listen, and the other was your silence is violence. Your silence is complicit. There was a lot being said and a lot that needed to be said and still a lot that needs to be spoken and acknowledged. But what happened is that a lot of people fell silent 
But it wasn't a listening and reflective silence. It was a defensive silence. It was a protective silence. So sometimes silence is full of answers, and other times silence is full of questions. At that time, a few weeks ago, I sat with a silence that was full of question marks, and maybe yours was too. I know you might have been looking at the color of your skin and thinking that your opinion didn't matter because you believed other people were speaking for you, because you were believing you shouldn't, that it wasn't your place to speak up because you didn't know what to say. This is regardless of the color of your skin, right? I know you were probably afraid that you would say the wrong thing or that you would get misinterpreted. I know you were probably afraid of being judged and labeled. I know you may have and may still be finding whiteness oppressive, no matter what the color of your skin is. I know that in facing the pandemic of racism, you felt guilty, afraid, angry, ashamed, and confused. I know because I have felt and thought those things too. And I know when we feel those emotions because of what we're believing about speaking up, it produces more silence, more loaded, unspoken opinions, more unresolved agitation, more half-baked apologies, more divisiveness, more mistrust, more us, more them, more of the same. I know we're all crying out for something different. But until we challenge our current thinking out loud, nothing changes. Blackout is like sending a kid into timeout without them knowing what they've done if we just retreat into our separate corners and say, think about what you've done, and then say nothing. Even if it's awkward and uncomfortable and scary, we must invite the conversation in if we're ever to hope to change it. If not, we just keep having the same conversation over and over again, but louder. We have to be willing to say it wrong if we want to start getting it right. Just because you're not saying it right doesn't make you wrong. It just means you haven't found the way to say it that works for you to feel acknowledged and understood and included. We need to separate what people do and say from the person so we can have the hard conversations without making each other wrong. The necessary conversations that need to be had amongst each other. We need to get good at hard conversations and at disagreeing with one another. Most of us are not good at disagreeing with others and staying calm. Ask yourself, can I have a conversation with someone and completely disagree with them? without shutting them down or shutting down completely and totally disconnecting. When you make someone wrong, you make them feel right. In order to make space for diversity, we must make room in our hearts and our minds for the inclusion of all people, ideas, and opinions. We must learn to listen and also we must learn to speak. We must root into curiosity and compassion instead of judgment and hate. Does this mean we condone? Of course not. But we must let go of being right so we can say things wrong and still actually hear each other. 
We must acknowledge the problems between us and then agree to speak only in terms of solutions. When someone has a complaint or concern or different belief, prove to them that you are listening, that you want to understand, even if you believe something different. We must be quiet, yes, but also we must learn to speak to each other in colors that don't yet exist. The only way those colors of a shared vocabulary will ever emerge is by learning how to disagree and still peacefully coexist. We can use our disagreements as opportunities to connect, not to push away, but to lean in, to lean all the way in. Disagreements can be the beginning of understanding. So with that, let's move into our meditation and cultivate the skill of being able to meet emotions like anger with awareness so we can practice compassionate listening and thoughtful responsiveness in the face of disagreement. We can teach ourselves here with this opportunity to be guided by the wisdom of our anger without becoming possessed by it. Ruth King, in the book Mindful of Race, writes, Anger is initiatory. It is not transformative. It's a beautiful line because it tells us that anger doesn't have to be fixed. It can be purposeful. And in the same breath, it tells us that it is not our anger that produces the transformation ultimately, but rather our caring. It's our caring that seeds connection and a better world. At the deepest level, anger seeks to move us towards reconnection. Let's access that intention by taking a moment to settle in right where we are, finding a comfortable meditative posture, letting the body relax, adjusting your seat so you can sit comfortably. Closing down the eyes, taking a few full deep breaths down into the belly. Bringing to mind a person or group of people that triggers your anger could be someone specific or more generally at a societal level. As you bring that person or group of people to mind, sense what it is that creates your agitation. Now, recognize the strongest emotion in you. Maybe anger, rage, aversion, frustration. Recognizing what it is for you. You might name the emotion internally. 
just acknowledging what is real and alive for you right now. And then allowing the emotion to be there. You might say to yourself mentally, this belongs. Recognizing the naturalness of what you are feeling right now in this moment. And then beginning to investigate. You might ask, what am I believing that's making me feel this way right now? And then drop down beneath the thoughts and sense where you feel it in your body. Describing to yourself the sensations of that in your body. Ask yourself if you can let that feeling be as big as it is for just right now. Can you be with this for just right now? Keeping the image of who you are angry with and then feeling that in your body, coming back to the experience in the body, noticing what is happening inside you right now. As you stabilize the attention in the body, you might ask, what most wants my attention right now? Is there another emotion beneath the anger? Is there hurt? Maybe a sense of powerlessness? Of fear? What might that emotion be needing? Perhaps a sense of safety, compassion, healing, understanding, expression. What does the anger really want to get from you? What is it you really want? See if you can offer it to yourself. See if you can offer what is most needed right now. Getting really in touch with what 
it is that you are most needing. If you're having difficulty offering it to yourself, you might bring to mind a loving presence. Someone you believe would hold this wisely and compassionately with you. A friend, a mentor, a spiritual presence. Whoever it is for you. Let yourself rest in their presence. Feeling the safety and the capacity to hold this with you. Before we close, Sense the presence that's here. Contrast how you feel now with how you felt when you were at the grip of your anger. Noticing how you're breathing. Noticing the pace of your thoughts. Noticing what response is being called forth. And if you're not sure, you might rest with a question. Sometimes answers come slowly. Sometimes other questions come. So see if you can just sit with this one. How do you want to respond? What is it that you are really caring about? And how can you move your life towards that? Letting your anger energize your deeper reflex to care. To close, I just want to read from the book I Shall Not Hate by Dr. Izaldin Abulaish. The thing is, you cannot ask people to coexist by having one side bow their heads and rely on a solution that is only good for the other side. What you can do is stop blaming each other and engage in dialogue with one person at a time. Everyone knows that violence begets violence and breeds more hate. 
we need to find our way together. I feel I cannot rely on the various spokespersons who claim they act on my behalf. Invariably, they have some agenda that doesn't work for me. Instead, I talk to my patients, I talk to my neighbors and colleagues, Jews and Arabs, and I find out they feel as I do. We are more similar than we are different, and we are all fed up with the violence. Let us not let our conflicting views and opinions obscure that we are more similar than we are different. Take a deep breath of peace. Let yourself be filled with that peace. And when you are ready, open your eyes. Enjoying this meditation series? Share it with a friend. When you're ready to change your body and your life from the inside out, apply to work with me and think yourself slim. It's not brain surgery, and I promise you can do it too. Just visit www.mindbody.academy start now. I'll see you there. Peace. Peace. <laughs>